0: Hey, this is Nathan from The Storage Papers. Stay tuned after the episode for a trailer of a podcast we think you'd enjoy. My name is Mark Anderson, and you're listening to Unwanted Places. Hello again, today's episode is the second part of this story, in case you forgot what happened before. To explain what happened, I will need to start back when we were children, children so often cause trouble through bad choices. We spent our formative years in a pretty small town, there was this old house that had been in a state of disrepair as far back as anyone could remember. The owner was rarely, if ever, seen. Henry Creedy was the man's name, sure, but that's not what we kids called him. To us, he had a much more clever name, one befitting of an old recluse living in a house that appeared to be held together solely on the nightmares of children, Mr. Creepy. But when the gauntlet was thrown under the stars to actually enter the house, I knew my time had come. I screamed again, this time as something grabbed my shoulder. It was Mr. Creepy. I was hyperventilating as I looked into what was certainly the ancient face of death. Finally, he spoke. I don't often get visitors here. He stood up and started to walk away, then paused as he glanced back at me over his shoulder. Come and follow me, child, he said, then resumed his stride. He disappeared into a room that had been closed a moment ago on the right, the only lit room. Light and shadows danced as they poured from the doorway, illuminating a wind chime in the middle of the hallway ceiling that lazily swayed in the still air. I attempted one final, futile push on the door before I proceeded on the only path available and followed the man inside. As I neared the doorway, I caught whiffs of something that smelled rotten drifting from down the stairs at the end of the hall. It only served to ignite my imagination further as I pictured the decaying corpses of my sister and friends stored overhead. I swatted at another fly as I poked my head inside the room. Mr. Creepy sat facing away from me in an ornate wooden chair gazing into a modest stone fireplace as he tilted a glass to pour a clear liquid into his mouth. I looked around carefully to make sure that there were no traps, monsters, or dead bodies. Once comfortable, I finally entered, the floor creaking beneath me with every step. "'What made you decide to enter tonight?' he asked, not even looking back at me. I paused and looked at my dirty feet. I wasn't supposed to be there, I knew that. My father had told me not to disturb him. His chair squeaked and I looked up to find his eyes on me. You can come in you know, have a seat. I obeyed and sat in a similar chair opposite him. The fire didn't help my sweat. I finally answered him. It was a dare. He leaned his head against the tall back of his chair and opened his mouth, exhaling a sigh of understanding. Of course, it's always something like that, isn't it? I didn't know what to say in response. I wanted to leave, but I was also terribly curious. Mr. I started to say Mr. Creepy, but stopped and corrected myself before continuing. Mr. Creedy? He took another sip of his drink. Yes, child? Why are you out here all alone all the time, I asked. Don't you ever get lonely? Half a smile creased his lips, creating wrinkles upon wrinkles drawn harsher in the flame's shadow. It's a lonely life indeed, but it's the one I was dealt. He took another sip, this time finishing his drink. I furrowed my brow. The more he spoke, the less concerned I was that he was going to eat me. Why? I asked him. He didn't answer at first, instead returning with a question of his own. What have you heard about this place? I was taken aback. How do you tell someone that you think they might kill you? I opened my mouth and the words tumbled out before I could stop them. This place is built on nightmares. A laugh erupted from his gut and devolved into a thick cough as he clutched his stomach. Heard that from some other kids, did you? he asked. I nodded. Sorry, I shouldn't be laughing. It's just, I thought that after all this time, this place would be pretty much completely forgotten. It's always interesting to hear what the truth has been boiled down to. I thought I wasn't understanding him. Why would he think this was funny at all? Why would he say it's true? Had I let my guard down? Was I going to be leaving in one piece, or at all? All these questions raced through my mind, but only one formed on my lips. The truth? His smile slowly faded, and he eyed me up and down, as if deciding what to say based on his assessment of me. Suddenly he stood up and walked over to a small cabinet across the room, glass in hand. He opened a door and withdrew a large jar, pouring its clear contents into his glass, then taking out another glass and adding a small amount in that as well. Replacing the jar, he turned and walked back over before taking his seat and offering me a glass. I sniffed it. It smelled like my parents when they argued. I took a small sip and immediately spat it out. It burned my mouth and nose and made me want to vomit. Of course, it was all a fun game for him, and it took him a minute to rein in his guffaws. "'I have a cousin back east who brought me the stuff a few years back,' he said. "'I agree, it's awful, but sometimes awfulness is the only way to pass the time. "'You don't have to drink it, and I hope you'll forgive me. "'I was just curious, much like you are, I suspect.' I held the glass in my hands, as far away from my nose as I could get it, and stared at him wordlessly. I wasn't going to give him further satisfaction. "'Well, it surely takes a brave girl to stand in a strange man's old house,' he mused. "'And you? You can't be older than, what, ten? Eleven, maybe?' Eleven and a half. and a half,' I answered while sitting as tall as I could to ensure that extra half was evident.' "'Ah, forgive me,' he said, clearly amused. Eleven and a half. "'And you've grown up here your whole life, I imagine.' "'I nodded, confirming his guess. "'How much do you know about this town?' he asked, eyeing me carefully. "'I shrugged. "'I know my mother makes the best pies in town.' "'He grinned. "'I'll bet she does. "'Do you know how this town started?' I cocked my head, thinking. I'd never really considered how it started before, but based on what nearly everyone's dad did all day, I had a pretty safe guess. The mines? His gaze fell back to the flickering logs before us. The fire popped, sending a bright spark into the air that turned black before it settled on the ground. You'd think so. Most people do. The truth is, it's been around a bit longer than the mines, or at least longer than we knew about them. This town's history has been passed down through the generations in my family, so I can pretty much recite it by heart. It was just a camp at first, a good resting place along an unbeaten path thanks to the lake and shade from the valley. Enough people started hanging around eventually that the path became more worn until it was a popular spot for traveling merchants. Then, one of them decided to set up shop for good. He had a family and his wife would cook food for the travelers. When his son was old enough to shoot, he started hunting in the area, which is when their fledgling business really started to thrive. People found good hunting and fishing in the area, and a lodge popped up. A lodge meant more business, which meant a tiny saloon and eventually a post office, if you could call it that. Everyone had been very lucky at that time, and for a moment they thought their fortune was exploding, because one day two hunters had chased a bear into a cave only to find ore. Gold. It seemed like word traveled faster than the people who spoke it. And there was soon no more place for tents. People wanted to build houses and raise their family here as they mined their family's inheritance. It didn't take long to discover the problem though. Hundreds of skeletons were in shallow graves across the region people had been camping on for so long. The best anyone can figure it was an old burial ground for the natives. At first, they just worked around it as they started to build, but if there's one important rule in life you should never forget it. it's this. Don't disturb the dead. It started with the merchant's son. He was a man by then. A black mark started to form on his stomach, almost like a bruise, but darker. It got worse until eventually he died but not before the mark appeared on three others in the exact same shape and spot. It didn't take long for whispers of a curse to spread and shortly thereafter they realized the only ones who were cursed were ones who dug up, desecrated those ancient bones. He stopped talking to steal a glance at me, probably expecting me to look like every other child listening to a ghost story over a fire. Maybe it was the sound of the wind chime, maybe it was the fact that the story was actually intriguing, or maybe just a bit of that foul liquid had made it into my bloodstream. Whatever the case, I felt oddly at ease, far more than I should have been. He continued. That's where I came in. Well, more accurately, that's where my great-granddaddy came in. I wasn't yet a thought in my father's mind. My great-granddaddy, Eustace, he had something of an unusual reputation. He was a traveled man and understood things of the world and things not of the world in a way not many ever do. He spent time in New Orleans learning of old magics. He had explored places many only see in their nightmares and returned to tell the tale. So naturally, it was Eustace that proposed the solution. In exchange for a comfortable life for him and his descendants, basic provisions and such, as well as a modest income of course, he would... take care of the problem. Mr. Creepy again paused. I think it was for effect trying to increase the tension. Between the crackling fireplace and the ever-present wind chime in the hallway, any lull just made me sleepy. It was a real bargain for the town, he said, breaking the silence. A bit of work now and a small fee later and their life would be everything they dreamed. Everyone quickly agreed. They dug up the entire town, hundreds of skeletons all in bits and pieces as shovels separated skulls from spines and hands from arms. Once every bit of dirt had been tilled, they gathered them all in one spot and created a mass grave of sorts. It was quickly covered up and they threw together a house atop it, story by story. It had to be done quickly, as the mark was spreading. Eustace didn't mind though, he had a plan. Every crescent moon, a ritual was performed. It was harder then than it is now. I don't understand it all really, but I think the spirits get more and more tired as we keep putting them to rest. Whatever the case, it has calmed their vengeance and quieted their malice. I don't know what they were like in life, but in death, they are certainly not something you want to run into alone on a dark night. He sipped his drink and sat in silence. I suspect that for a moment, he forgot I was even there as he remembered some haunted Eve in his past. Finally, I spoke up. You do a ritual you called it? Every month?" He nodded, still not facing me. Every crescent moon, he answered. Just as my daddy did before him, his daddy before him, and my great granddaddy before him. The creedy curse, I guess you might call it. What happens when you can't do it anymore, I asked. He stroked his stubbled chin thoughtfully, then started to chuckle. The only way I'm not doing it is if I'm dead, so I suppose that's a question for the people who are going to be alive. I'll be too dead to care. His answer made me uneasy. I glanced back to the dark doorway behind me, thinking of my friends who had surely abandoned me long ago by then. I remembered what little moonlight the night sky had offered us. Tonight's a crescent moon, I pointed out. He nodded his agreement. Yes, it is. I looked at the fire, then back at him. Aren't you going to... do it? Or something? Without ceremony, he stood up. Come with me, child. We'll do the ritual together. I stood as well, but hesitated. I think I should be getting back, mister. Won't take but two shakes, he insisted. Surely no trouble for a brave girl like yourself. The darkness outside the room swallowed him before I could protest any further. I left the room behind in time to see him disappear into another doorway at the end of the hall. This one was unlit. Despite the noisy floorboards, I went back to the front door as quietly as I could and gently pushed on it. It had no give at all. It just didn't make any sense. Resigned to my fate, I turned back to the dark within the dark when I noticed an eerie pink glow emitting from that room. Passing the wind chime, I cautiously approached it and peered around the doorframe to catch sight of what the strange man in the tombstone house was up to. Glass jars containing powders, liquids, and all manner of animal remains were strewn about wooden shelving that lined the walls. It was hard to tell what color anything actually was by nature of the sole source of light. All I know is that the blacks were especially black, so much so that I thought the mat on the ground with its strange markings was in fact a hole at first. Mr. Creepy's back was towards me and whatever cast that flickering pink hue was in front of him. I moved closer, trying to catch a glimpse of what he was looking at. A thunderous clap filled the room as the glow disappeared as mysteriously as it began, and without warning, Mr. Creepy spun around with a thin leather-bound book in his left hand and a small aged flask in the other. He started walking towards the doorway behind me and glanced at my foot at the edge of the mat. I wouldn't do that if I were you, the man warned. He bent down close and whispered as he passed me. You never know what might swallow you down. He straightened and continued to exit the room, calling back to me. Come on now, child. After a brief fearful glance at the blackness surrounding me, I hurried after him as he entered yet another room and began pouring a dark liquid from the flask onto the ground, moving around in a circle as he did so. I stood in the doorway, watching him in the mostly dark. "'What was that light before?' I asked. "'He looked up at me for a moment, then continued his work as he answered. "'In order for the ritual to have any effect on the dead, "'a crack must be made between our worlds. "'I've always imagined that the light is the fire of Hades, "'but the truth is, all that I know about it is "'that's what happens when the seal is broken between them and us.' "'He closed the flask and stared at the shape on the ground.' A splattered semicircle is the best I could make out without more light. He snapped his head towards me and grinned. You're right. What we need is more light, he said. I shrank back, hugging the doorframe. Had he really just read my mind? Stay put, child, he ordered as he strode past me briskly. He entered the first room we had been in, and I watched his shadow move around the hallway as he crossed the fireplace. He returned with a torch, which he placed into a small brace nailed down to the floor I hadn't been able to see in the dark. The shape painted in blood on the floor was in fact a crescent. If I extended the shape's curve in my mind, the torch sat on the invisible horizon. There was a loud click as the torch locked in place and suddenly a loud hum filled my ears. What's that? I yelled. His lips moved, but I couldn't hear him. Finally, he motioned to go back into the hallway. As soon as I did, the noise stopped. I looked around, confused. Inside, the room was vibrating from whatever was making the noise. But it was silent out here. Well, except for the wind chime. Mr. Creedy stepped out beside me, the floor once again protesting. For a moment, I thought the weight of us both may be all the excuse the wood needed to finally give up. Mr. Creepy spoke, his voice making me jump. The only sound you hear tonight that you should worry about is that wind chime above us. I looked up at it, jangling with seemingly no external force acting upon it. How is it making that noise? I asked. He followed my gaze for a moment before turning and heading deeper into the house towards the stairs. Don't know, he answered. But I can tell you things are a lot better when it's making noise than when it stops. I asked him what he meant, but he just turned and started trudging up the stairs, book in hand. He had disappeared from sight by the time I worked up the courage to follow him. The stairs were uneven, and I found myself praying I survived the ascent. Once the top was reached, I found that, unlike the first floor, this floor was completely open, save for a few pillars. Probably the sole reason this entire place wasn't a pile of rubble, I imagine. In the center of the floor was a small table, its contents a burlap sack sitting next to an oil lantern, the latter of which was the sole source of light. Mr. Creepy was digging into the sack and pulling out a series of small leather pouches. He turned and handed me as many as I could hold, telling me to put them along the walls with about three feet between each one. I don't know why, but I did as requested. As I bent down to place them, I felt a growing sense of unease, like something was messing with my insides. Once I finished, I nearly screamed as I turned to find Mr. Creepy right behind me. Only he wasn't Mr. Creepy. At least, not as I'd seen him before. If he had seemed gaunt before, he now appeared as though he was death himself, skin stretched tightly over a skeleton. I fell backwards in fright. He reached out and caught me by the arm, instantly the Mr. Creepy with whom I'd become acquainted. Oh there, child. Watch your step now. I regained my balance as well as my breath, wondering to myself if I could bust through a window to escape since the door wouldn't budge. Then I remembered there were no windows. He glanced at the staircase from which we had entered and almost as if he knew my mind told me, It's no use, you know. The door locks you in when the moon peaks and doesn't open again until the ritual is complete. Why? I asked. I was struggling to find that sense of bravery that had come so easily before. He shrugged. Don't know. That's just what it says in here, he said, then tapped the book in his hand. Now stay put. I don't need you going around fiddling with things beyond yourself while I finish this up. Without another word, he turned and went up another flight of stairs, disappearing to the third and final floor. Dirt dropped from the ceiling with every step he took. A cobweb fell in my hair and I let out a small squeal, then moved closer to the lantern as I brushed it out. Looking around, the entire room was covered in the ghosts of spiderwebs. Even the spiders didn't like it here. I heard Mr. Creepy's muffled voice coming from upstairs. Then I heard another voice, like he was talking to someone. Mr. Creepy's voice got louder, then there was a loud bang the lantern went out in a flash. I screamed. I couldn't help it. I hugged myself because that was all I could do as I sat in the middle of a wide open dark room. That's when I started to hear things. At first, I thought it was coming from outside, but then it got too close. Hooves like horses galloping. Some sort of drum. It wasn't long before it picked up the pace to match my heartbeat and I could no longer tell which was which. Then, just as suddenly as it began, it stopped. I strained my ears and tried to hold my breath. The floor creaked behind me and I spun around. I could have sworn that I saw a man standing there, but the impression flickered away before I could even register what I saw. I called out for Mr. Creepy, but there wasn't even any noise from upstairs. Then came a sound I'll never forget. It was like a door screeching open, but it was like nothing I'd ever heard before. It wasn't from nature. It was a man's voice, croaking steadily like a scream in slow motion. I spun back and forth, but I couldn't pinpoint a source. It was all around me and multiplying in volume. I cried, pleading with whatever it was to stop. In another instant, it did. I spun towards the noisy stairs to find Mr. Creepy descending, a lantern in hand. He stopped at the foot of the staircase and frowned. What did you do, he asked me. Voice strained. I couldn't believe those were the words out of his mouth after what I'd just experienced. Nothing, I insisted. He looked past me and raised his light. I followed his gaze to see the lantern that had been on the table was now on the floor, broken. Burnt into the floor beyond the shattered glass were four words We are not resting. I ran down the stairs and lunged at the door. It gave immediately, once again, the flimsy sheet of metal I had encountered when I first entered the house. I didn't stop running until I got home. This story will continue in the next episode. And now for a trailer of a podcast we think you'd enjoy. This week, enjoy Circees, a weekly queer horror anthology podcast. All right. Let's get this over with. Ugh. Uh, what the hell is that? Gross. I told him to clean up after himself. Oh, it smells putrid. When did they last serve burgers? Let me just... Um, oh, three days ago. Mm. I suppose that would do it. Oh, God. Oh, it's... It's on my clothes. Yep, mmm. Is that... Oh, oh, is that... Is that blood? Oh, I'm... I'm going to be sick.